Welcome, welcome, welcome to the fog of Meta War. <laughs> you, guys, you guys know that. Uh, so I feel like it's kind of uh, you know we're, we're sort of a, a young poor man's version of the All In podcast. They did a uh, they did a an emergency war pod this morning. So we'll follow that up with like a little bit more quality and, and insightful discussion. A lot of more experience. Um, compelling mental models to understand what's going on in the world through modesty, like, modesty humility. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what is the fog of metawar, Deej? The fog of metawar. Well, this is how I was thinking about it. And, and I, I jacked this name because I'm probably going to call my next article this, but um, you had the fog of war, right? The fog of war is when... Um, war starts and you have difficulty understanding what your opponent's going to do, what their capabilities are and what your capabilities are. So there's all this complication. And to me, the fog of meta war sort of more in line with, with our podcast is how do you invest or position yourself based on the uncertainty of war? So you got the fog of the regular war and then you got the fog of the investing war. And so that's sort of the, that's sort of the meta war. Hmm. What's the, uh, what's the thesis? of your paper going to be? Oh, I don't know. I'm probably just going to ramble about a bunch of things I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I'm actually going to have to put a disclaimer on this one, which says that, you know, I know very little about these underlying topics. This is just <laughs> my hot take of how I see the system. This is not war advice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a general. <laughs> not war advice. Have you guys, did you guys hear about, uh, I posted in the, in the group, I figured you guys would be amped about it. Do you guys see all this shit about the ghost of Kiev? Oh, was that that one fighter jet? Yes, it's the fucking, yeah. so. It took down like eight jets or something? Yeah, I think he's, he's taking, yeah, he's taking down like six or six or seven or eight Russian jets. He's like, he's, if, if he's real, if it's one dude with one plane, he's the first example of a 21st century ace. Like we haven't, we haven't had one. This is a guy's just, you know, his country's getting fucking invaded. He's just booing around in his plane, just obliterating Russians. <laughs> that's, that's fucking sick. <laughs> I feel like that's who you like. That's who you wish you were. Oh yeah, it's my, it's my, it's my, it's my spirit animal that I could never become because I don't have. To <laughs> um. Yeah, that's crazy. What's going on? Uh, unfortunately, Shake and I aren't the most. <laughs> educated uh co-host um so no, i think you guys are are, are underplaying it let's um i don't know what direction do you all want to take it i mean shake what's going on in um in the nft land like crypto has been very odd over the last 24 hours right like right when the invasion happened gold had an absolute rip to the upside btc shit itself that's since reverted and like liquid crypto liquid public crypto has done pretty well Presumably NFTs are weathering the storm just fine as uncorrelated cultural engines of brilliance. Yeah, dude. I mean, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I think, um, yeah, they're just driven by different factors. And I also think that most NFT traders or collectors or whatever are not, uh, I don't know. They're just, they're not as concerned with macro stuff. I think they like number go up technology. That's kind of interesting, like, that's an interesting conversation to be had, like, um, like, in a lot of ways, when something like an invasion happens, I feel like, at least for me, like, yesterday, I felt kind of weird about, like, playing with internet money, 
But at the same time, um, you know, to the extent that people have like uh, have exited like from the real world in a lot of ways, and like a lot of their meaning and their purchases and their culture and their friends are all online, right? Like there's a there's a level of uh, of hedge there, right? Like what's happening in the land of NFTs is in a lot of ways self-contained, right? And so there's some folks that like are worried about macro and they're gonna sell their NFTs. There are other folks that just like, like a lot of their lives are online, right? That's the economy that they care about. They're not really concerned about like, I don't know, food shortages or invasions or it's, it's just not really top of mind. And um, oh, where I forget what the number was, dude, but it was like in uh, January. Oh, here it is. 400,000 unique NFT buyers per this is from Delphi Digital was in January, which is pretty crazy because I mean, some of this macro concerns, at least about like inflation and the rate hikes and stuff was already that was happening, right? And it already, you know, kind of been priced into Bitcoin and equities a little bit. Definitely. But at the same time, right, it was the most like it was just the most booming period of NFTs uh, ever. So, yeah, I mean, everything you said, I agree with. So NFTs are the war hedge out with gold. Yeah, NFTs are digital gold. Yeah. Just yeah. Buy <laughs> NFTs are gold. Gold is out. Gold is out. Sorry, um, I gotta show you something. That's where I'm all distracted. Um. So, so you think? What do you think the U.S. is gonna do with rate hikes now? That uh, presumably oil or price of uh, gas is gonna go up, et cetera. So I think, I, think that, I think there's two dynamics there. Um, I think the first is uh, obviously a lot has changed, right? Um, we're pricing in seven hikes a month ago, um, and there's been an invasion since. Um, and my guess is what the calculus looks like for the Fed, although I think quite poorly of the Fed. Maybe they haven't even been able to you know, drum up this logic, but... My, my guess is for the moment um, they hold steady. I think the the risk of uncertainty um, and economic weakness that um, that's been caused by recent events probably more than offsets um, the risks that inflation pose. Um, I think the other piece is when, when you think about why the Fed raises rates. Um, you know, one of the key pieces is, of course, to, you know, assuage inflation. But the, 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 there's an assumption there, which is there's a piece of inflation, or maybe a majority of the inflation is caused by the demand side, which is to say people purchasing too much shit, money is too easy to get. So they've been printing too much. And if they print less, if they taper, if they raise the benchmark rate, then the offset in demand, lowering in demand should should lower inflation. But I think that's sort of a misstep, right? Because a lot of the inflation, at least the way I see it, is supply side driven. It's about not having enough goods, there being delays, there being shortages, rather than there being too much money in the system. And I think like the invasion of Ukraine, it only strengthens the case that inflation may continue, but it's going to continue because there are energy shortages and there are food shortages and we can't get basic raw materials to build new cars, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't think, I, I think the calculus is such that if you're raising rates right now, like 
I'm not sure how much it necessarily achieves. At the very least, I think they're going to stay stay kind of still. Um, and, and honestly, that might explain a lot of what's happening in, in crypto markets as well. <laughs> Zoo doesn't like what you're saying. Yeah. So, I don't know then leave, right? bitch. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Let's yeah, let's get him. Let's get him on here. I want to hear his. Um. Dude, did, you you wrote that article, um, and I, didn't you basically call that like you mentioned Russia as one of the countries that would adopt um, Bitcoin as legal tender? Yeah, I I, I, I thought I that was a pretty pretty sick call. I, I, did, I, I did mention that. <laughs> better, did you foresee this coming? This war? <laughs> he called it. Dude. I mean, what what kind of sucks about that is. Um, like this is another, I mean, I'd be curious to hear what you guys think, but in the scenario where, you know, we try to sanction Russia, like with SWIFT, they could potentially, other Putin or um, oligarchs, look for a way to finance the war. That's not with dollars, right? And so if they adopt Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin could be reframed as war money. I don't know if this is true either, but I saw something that like the that people were buying on local bitcoins on you know, that website in Ukraine. And it was like over fifty k the premium for it. I need to fact check that because it could have been. No, I, mean, I, mean, I, think, I think that makes sense, and that that would be that would be the bull case here, right? That the, that like like the Ukrainian a bunch of Ukrainian officials, I think, bought two billion dollars worth of Bitcoin in April, right? And so if the Ukrainian people resort to buying Bitcoin as like wealth that they can carry with them that can't be appropriated and Ukrainian officials already have Bitcoin, that would make it less likely that Russia buys Bitcoin, um, which would really be terrible for the narrative, I think. I mean, the nature of Bitcoin is blind, right? Anyone can buy it. No one's going to get censored. So, you know, Russians, North Koreans, whatever, that's the nature of the beast. It would just be ugly for the narrative if there was a sizable percentage of the owners that were Russians trying to circumvent sanctions. With that said, I think what you do see, and I think this is fairly interesting, um, in hindsight, you know, an invasion like this um, kind of could have been predicted. If you look at the Russian government balance sheet, uh, they're selling all their U.S. treasuries and they were amassing gold. And so they're probably going to finance their war effort with gold as opposed to BTC, but you definitely don't want the Russians buying BTC. It's terrible for our bags. Yeah, so I'm checking right now. I mean, this is just one site, but there's on localbitcoins.com. And it looks like the cheapest price is 43.4K Damn. in USD for one Bitcoin. In Ukraine. Where at? In Ukraine or so Russia? it's like 11% premium in Ukraine. I guess I could check Russia too. Right? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I mean... I don't know. Kind of tough to even reason about how it's going to affect crypto, except probably more the more speculative stuff just gets kind of nuked because it's, <laughs> it has no value. <laughs> My bad. But, that's, that's just already been, it's happened for three months though, right? Yeah, so. yeah. It's just going to continue. So, but how it affects Bitcoin. Yeah. I don't know. If you look, if you look at, um, I'm sure you guys saw the chart a bunch of people were posting. Um, like in a lot of ways, like an invasion is the worst possible war is the worst possible thing for equities and risk assets. But in a lot of ways, it's also like you think about how like markets are priced. Like 
everything's based on a probability, right? And when the invasion happens, that's when the 100% hits, right? And then all of the unpriced stuff prices in and then, you know, markets can move on, right? So uncertainty mm -hmm. is the antithesis of, of markets. If you look at historical invasions, typically the day of an invasion marks a bottom um, in, in, in sentiment. And so price action that follows is typically really, really, really fucking good. So if you look at Vietnam, Gulf War, Afghanistan, Iraq, and maybe more accurately, like the Crimea, typically price action is like pretty excellent after. I think the one tricky thing we have to deal with now is we have inflation. So that kind of fucks shit up a little bit. Um, in, in some ways it's analogous, some ways it's not. But by the word, what do you what do you think the odds of the U.S. invading are? Or not invading, but uh, like providing military support. So I think we already have provided military support in a way, um, but it needs to be obfuscated because um, you can't trigger um, you can't trigger the NATO contract. So if one if one NATO yeah exactly if one NATO fighter dies um, on Ukrainian soil, then there's some provision that gets triggered whereby all NATO countries have to commit to war and then you deal with nuclear issues. So what I think all these countries will do is they'll they'll provide sort of ancillary support to Ukraine via, you know, food and 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 um, and and healthcare and weapons, but I don't think you'll see us send soldiers into Ukraine, maybe like Belarus and, and Poland. But I don't I, I don't I don't see that happening, especially given the nuclear arsenal that that Russia has. Also, what's going to happen, which is I also think can be incredibly bullish crypto, is there's going to be a physical war and then there's going to be another meta war, which is going to be just a sequence of cyber attacks, right? The sequence of cyber attacks from like the most powerful um, intelligence agencies of the world. And so Russia's no exception, right? So then they might target like an AWS or, or a Google, right? And that's like, that's going to change the, that's going to move the Overton window to where people not only think about the censorship of their money, but the censorship and single point of failure of, of like the very infrastructure that like we rely on. Yeah, I guess I keep thinking like, I know people, some people are calling for more support from the US, I guess besides sanctions, but um, it just seems like collectively we don't have the, the gusto right now to support like i obviously wasn't around for similar events like this but like coming off of covid and uh you know not doing getting, basically accepting failure in the middle east already it's like because i don't think anyone's like super confident that we're we can really just like unilaterally help right which is kind of crazy like obviously we can still provide a lot of support but it's definitely it's not like if we just decide to, we can go fix everything. Um, definitely speaks to like American hegemony winding, which it, it's been, but it's kind of nuts. We're just like, we're still a superpower, but we're not the superpower at all. Um, that's really my only takeaway from the situation <laughs> or not my only takeaway, but main takeaway. Yeah. I also worry that, um, I don't know, I worry that a whole bunch of other bad actors that have just sort of been in the wings for a while because, um, 
because they're worried about, you know, geopolitics and global perception are going to be emboldened by this also. Like that's not mm -hmm. also a great dynamic. Um, yeah. Like, you know, I, like end of history, right? Like Cold War, Cold War ends, it's like Western democracy. Um, it's just going to be the only thing that we, that like, that's, that's the, that's the final conclusion on how like men organize or society organizes. And then like, I feel like now it's like, now that, <laughs> I mean, people have been saying it's the end of the end of history, but I feel like if this keeps going the way it is, it's like a, a testament to that where it's not like democracy is the best. I mean, you can say that's been the case, China, et cetera, but definitely interesting. So what else you guys got? What what other than than Russian warfare and geopolitical games? Um, how do you guys feel about like the fact that this is going on, but it's not like you can materially affect it? Like, I guess what's you know? I mean, I don't know. I just I feel. Um... I feel weird even having this conversation, you know, because I'm like, damn, like, what, is it fucked up that we're talking about? I mean, I don't even know. Is it fucked up? But it's like, it's just weird that we're talking about, oh, is this bullish for Bitcoin? You know, and it's, um, I'm laughing, but it's, you know, people are like getting killed and shit, you know, and so it's, I don't know, it's just crazy. Um, I feel like it kind of reminds me of the same feeling of right when COVID started and at least me i was like dude i was tripping out i thought like we wouldn't have water and it would be like a zombie apocalypse you know what i mean um it just felt like complete unknown like what's going to happen and I, I kind of have a sense of that right now but yeah it's definitely weird because it's not on my doorstep you know but um yeah it feels it feels historic like it feels like oh this is going to be people are going to talk about this in 50 years yeah mm -hmm. no i mean i I mean, yesterday was like a pretty horrible day. I mean, I could talk to my whole family. Like, you know, we, not that it, not that the U.S. is affected, right? But like, like the beginning of COVID yesterday, like the family had the impulse that we should think about, you know, if shit falls apart and if flights aren't working and if infrastructure doesn't work, like what's going to be our plan? Like everyone got cash out of the ATM. Like that's kind of what you do. And, and I agree that, like yesterday, <laughs> playing with internet money sounded like like woefully trivial, right? Um, but I think ultimately, you donate to the extent that you can or would like to. But other than that, um, you're not going to go fight, right? So it's kind of like you dig back down into what you've been working on for as long as you can, because that's ultimately where you provide the most value to the world, right? Yeah. And also, like. I feel like that's being, well said. I mean, like, what, what can you do? Sit around and worry about it. You know, it, I mean, yeah, no, I agree. And, and it's kind of like, you know, this is another, like, all in analogy, I suppose. But did you guys see when Chamath just got jammed up so hard for saying that no one cares about the Uyghur Muslims? You remember that? Below my line? Below my line, yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, if, like we're on, if we're on this pod saying that, like, you know, Ukraine is below our line. <laughs> Be like fuck these guys they all they do is talk about fucking price action when a war is going on but like ultimately yeah. like 
for the most part, if, if nothing changes, right, and let's say, like, I, I don't know, the, the war settles down a bit or even it keeps going, like, are we going to care nearly as much in a month? Probably not because, like, we have our own lives to live, right? It's just sort of the, it's the nature of the beast. And I feel like, like circumventing that or, 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 or claiming that's not the case is just dishonest. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I feel like the weird part is, like, I feel like a lot of people are generally – well, you make a you make a fork whether you're super engaged with the news and politics and like that, or you're like, okay, I'm not going to participate in it because I can't control it. It's like we're in that latter camp. But when something like this happens and you're like, you don't really have any faith with people who are running the show and it actually could like materially affect your life if they mess up. Like it's not guaranteed that they don't mess up. That's where it's just like, you know, you're like, damn. I really don't like the structure of things. Like, I don't know if anyone has confidence in, like, the U.S. government, even whether you're Democrat or Republican or whatever, right now that they're just going to make the right decision. And I feel like this is, like, you know, it's kind of, I feel like we're not in (laughs) the optimal structure to handle (laughs) stuff like this right now, obviously. if, if so, 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 question for you guys, which, um, which may be insensitive because people are actually going through this, but obviously there was like there's a conscription in in Ukraine, right? Everyone between the ages of eighteen and sixty has been has been called to to bear arms. Um, if like, would either of you have like ultimately any intention for like fighting for this country unless you were forced to? No. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, like, has, I, I, mean, I kind of wish I, I wish I as did. it stands right now. No. And, and like, I, yeah, patriotism is very low right now. You know, and I think that's kind of like my guess is this would be the consensus answer across at least our demographic, right? Like, no one, I, I don't think people do feel like that sense of duty to the state or the country at all, and that kind of maps on like general civic erosion, right? Like people are forming tribes outside of the nation. Um, But I don't think that's the case everywhere, right? And it's almost like the reason that that was the case, in my view, in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and then waning into the 70s is like we had a common enemy as a nation. Like the US wasn't, it wasn't established as like the dominant economic and military powerhouse. There was a possibility that other big powers could infringe upon our rights. And by virtue of that common enemy, like sort of like a Girardian, there was was a cohesion at home. Whereas now I think, especially in the West, the assumption is that the US is the best and we got the dollar and we got a big army and no one can fuck with us. But I wonder if like at this moment, when you realize that a nuclear power just unpromptedly invaded an ostensibly independent nation. Like, I wonder if this might be sort of the start of the West generally realizing that like all the little like bullshit things we argue about, like all the uh, identity politics and religion and politics and just all of the shit that fills our day to day in our timelines, like that actually doesn't matter at all. And you've got a nuclear power. So I wonder if there is like a reversion back to a patriotism by virtue of that threat. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I hadn't thought about that. It's, I, I mean, I think, th I think there's definitely a possibility. Yeah. And I'd be like, I mean, it, it would be a good thing for our country for sure. Yeah. I'm, I do feel like part of the issue is just like the leadership in government is just very, is not strong. And like, I think the older I get, I do think people at the top just like kind of willing things to be better makes a big difference. And I feel like we've just slowly had the government leadership hollow out in the sense of like really caring about what happens. Like, I feel like it's more and politics has evolved into like just being in control more than like some sense of like doing what's better for the country, you know, and making sacrifices, et cetera. Um, in, in like a crazy way, I almost compare it. Like, I, I know this has a lot of holes, but like, it's like a founder versus someone who steps in like later and just keeps the ship running and then uh -huh. ends up doing like politics in inside of a company just to keep control. Like, that's what I think of our government leaders. They're just doing politics to be at the top, not to like try to push society forward. And uh, I don't know. I feel like. Yeah, we lack that type of leadership at the top. And that's the type of people that'll like make sacrifices or make hard choices. And you kind of need those people. Um, I agree I, with that. I've kind of, I'm kind of in almost the benevolent dictator camp now, which has been a crazy reversion for me. But those type of people are kind of what make things, push things forward. Yeah, I mean, because the, I mean, it's, it's, it's all about incentives, right? And a benevolent dictator has a longer timeline, right? They, they have the incentive to make things better for their constituents over as long as they're able to rule. <laughs> Whereas like Biden, who is going to go for re-election in, in two years, is probably not going to blast sanctions on Russia, force oil prices through the roof and have his constituents not be able to drive to work. Yeah. Or even our lack of power has been from like just serial short-term thinking, right? Like, we can't sanction them because we still rely on them for energy and we, we don't invest in energy because it's like a long-term thing. And, uh, you know, it's easier to criticize fracking than it is to like build a new solution. So we, so we banned fracking and then we just import from Russia and now we can't dom them with the financial <laughs> sanctions, you know? And it's like, we, we've, just slowly given up a lot of sovereignty by I think being short term and we're short term because like, yeah, like the people at the top, are just, I mean, they're in it for politics. Like, I mean, I know that's not true across the board, but it definitely feels like that at the top. It, it's to, to, to shift gears. Well, sort of shift gears. Um, it's also interesting to see, <coughs> see Bitcoin, enter like the secular political discussion you guys see ted cruz's bit yeah that, you like do you remember like a year ago when we were all talking about like oh like if if only you know crypto was on apple pay and like oh if only you know people realize if only crypto mainstreamed and now it's just like all this shit has happened in the last five months like he's about a goddamn crypto punk. Ted Cruz is saying the word Bitcoin. It's just like absolutely. It was so weird to hear him say, that's why I'm bullish Bitcoin. I was like, dude, I, it felt like I was watching a skit, you know? 
And then it was funny too. Like, I don't, I kind of noticed that the crowd, you know, they were like cheering about certain things. And he said that, and they were almost like, what the fuck? You know, like, like you know, they're kind of surprised by it. Not like they were anti, but it was just, uh, yeah. I mean, you're right though. It's, it's the, it's in the, uh, it's, that's the mass adoption, right? I mean, to some degree. Yeah. Sure. Everybody knows I mean, I that, right? Even... The Super Bowl we had recently and how many crypto ads were there. Yeah. I think the the freaking like uh, Ukraine posting on Twitter memes about Russia is the most like surreal thing I've maybe ever like. What what are they what are they posting? I don't think I saw that. Oh, they've just been posting like pictures of like Putin with like Hitler, like cartoon versions of that, and like literally talking about like Russia the country being evil Ukraine's on Twitter. Twitter. Yes, they're verified Twitter Dude, account. What? Yeah, it's honestly, it's like this timeline is so weird. I, uh, <laughs> uh, You're saying that Ukraine has a full-time meme officer. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the propaganda. Bro, this it's is like, crazy, dude. Oh my god, I yeah, did not know this. Look at this, Fire a meme up, yeah. Look at this shit. This is the crane verified. Yes, right. this look at their bio, bro. Yes, this is the official Twitter account of Ukraine. Nice pics. It's <laughs> like what, dude? That's wild. And didn't Putin sit like make some announcement like on Instagram? Yeah, I forget what it was, but I saw somebody tweeting about that. Yeah, I mean that's another. Th I, yeah, it's crazy, right? Bro, uh, why doesn't? Why don't? This People is on Twitter got to be freaking out. We should, be, <laughs> we, should like, be, what is, we should be what? We should be wielding our technological dominance. Like, wh how is how is Russia not being like deplatformed from fucking Instagram? Like, I don't understand. Like, how are they not being deplatformed from like Google? Like, what? Th that's our. I, I think he was like making a bunch of it. I think he was making like new accounts, maybe. Um, yeah, but think, you can just but, you can just you can just geo block the region. Hmm. Yeah, but actually, apology like might even be too up to just block everyone in Russia, right? Well, that yeah, that yeah, that's just fair. That would be problematic. Apology had like a tweet like, "Oh, like because people are like, why don't the U.S. tech companies do something?" And he was like, "Well, once they do that, like there's going to be." Like it's one thing to deplatform Trump, but then it's another thing to deplatform like basically a country. Then they're gonna. <laughs> it's one thing to deplatform Trump, and it's another thing to deplatform Putin. No, no, no. From like the, I'm not saying like, no. I mean from a retaliation perspective. Like mm. if you, if you like if if Instagram just deplatformed the Russian president. And like started stop serving Russian people, and you're talking about cyber warfare. Like there's retaliation from Russia on U.S. tech companies, where like when they deplatformed Trump, it was like consensus among most people, especially in government at the time, because it was like going to be blue that they should deplatform them. There was going to be if anything, there was more retaliation from them not deplatforming him. Right? You, uh, you get what I'm saying? It's not about like what's right or wrong. It's about like the it's it's, yeah. a, it's it's ultimately like about I mean it's it's business in the end right yeah that's what I'm it's, it's, 
so I, but I like, let's leave like the Russian people out of it for a second, right? Like deplatforming Trump was not only, you know, the right decision. I mean, actually it was the wrong decision, but the right decision from a moral perspective, but also a commercial perspective. I don't see how the deplatforming of, of the deplatforming of Putin is different because even though it might be right morally and commercially, you're un you're unloading a Pandora's box of retaliation. Yeah, that's all I'm saying, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. why they'd probably be more hesitant, especially if you think that like Russia's um, like they have cyber warfare like tactics that they could deploy against you. Mm. It was it ever like I actually don't know this, which shows my ignorance. And the whole like. Uh, like energy was go or like going out on the East Coast. Was that like confirmed to be like a cyber attack? Oh, I don't know. Like that last year? Uh, like last year? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't remember. Dude, I hate to <laughs> I hate to be so trite, but this is definitely some sovereign individual thesis stuff where it's just like <laughs> like <laughs> there's just anarchy, you know? Um, yeah, it's complete anarchy. It's moment. It's moments like these that you want to own land. <laughs> yeah, ideally somewhere warm. <laughs> <laughs> Your land in upstate New York is kind of ideally hot. somewhere that's not next to the freezing cold Hudson River. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if the electricity goes out, <laughs> dude, if the electricity went right out right now in Chicago in some trouble dude that's the easy way to lose a lot of weight <laughs> have all the electricity go out oh shake to follow up on your um your um, um your, tri your sort of triathlon event what did you call it what was, what was the event you called it oh i i said it's gonna be like a combine a combine right? <laughs> uh, to follow up on your combine i'm i'm curious what which sort of events are in included and does the being lightweight and having like fasted for four months, does it get you ahead or does it get you behind? Being like definitely losing weight for both of us will will be good, I think. Cause we're gonna do I don't even know what the things are. Like my the the trainer, he does we do like little agility things, you know, body weight, endurance kind of exercises, and then we do like heavy compound lifts too. So it's gonna be like I think a mix of all that stuff. So you, you need like a like a mixed composition. Like you you want to be you want to be literally as fat as possible and as as muscular as possible for the compound list. But right. you're gonna get jammed up on the, like the pull ups and the push ups. Exactly, exactly, dude. It's hard. You had to be really well rounded. <laughs> to give the to give the people some some context, Shake and and a friend are having a uh, an exercise combine of what four months. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's fun. I don't, I don't want to fucking do a combine. I was talking about Chris. <laughs> Chris was like, <laughs> Chris, Chris has got me beat on the deadlifts. No doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, you have an edge on me, Chris. Uh, four oh five. I was sore for a while though. For one rep max. Yeah. Nice, dude. I tried to go in there and do one oh five with the dumbbells on bench, and I think I almost dislocated my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> like going from here, like it was literally just such like a, a 
<laughs> so much force the shoulder almost popped out. Holy shit. Not not actually, but like I definitely was like kind of scared. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy, honestly. Dude, I feel like that so, I feel like when we were Chris, when you and I were at the gym, something very similar happened. Like it's like yeah. crank, cranking reps and then the weights just like fell through my shoulder. I just couldn't couldn't handle the juice. Yeah, honestly, it's like <laughs> it's amazing that the shoulder doesn't constantly dislocate. It almost doesn't make sense. It's just like uh, a lot. I mean, I guess when you have more muscle, but it's a lot of just like what's it called, ligament, just like holding it in place, and you just stretch it out and rip it over time, and there's nothing holding it in there. I mean, I feel I feel like it's definitely, <laughs> definitely one of the weak points of the body. I feel like that's why so many people have shoulder problems. It's like the knee. I guess I guess maybe it's like any um hinge, but I feel like a lot of people, are, adults, have fucked up shoulders. Yeah. So. I mean, every time you try to put a little bit more weight on there, you know, that's why you just plateau. You're just like, I don't know if it's worth the extra couple yeah. pounds to get stronger to be out of commission for six and, months. And it is. It is worth it. When we were lifting that day, that was like a few days into, um, you know, Shake's boycott of us. Shake, Shake was off har harvesting Shaney credits. <laughs> Yeah, we were joking about how we saw you for like two weeks straight, and then you disappeared because he needed to. He needed to get the Shaney emissions. Honestly, I mean, part of it is just like I'm just less likely to do anything because I'm just working. You know, <laughs> definitely a couple days. Definitely, I had to spend a little. You know, I had to had to you know pay my dues a little bit, but. Yeah, yeah, a like, I'm just, a I was just down here, like seeing you guys, and I'm just like, ah, oh, dude, I'm fucking. You're in the hole. Yeah, I'm I mean, we weren't do, we didn't do anything fun after we left. <laughs> no, except one night. One night we went out, talked to some girls, and then uh, got got throttled. Got throttled. <laughs> jammed up. <laughs> yeah, we got jammed up. DJ was trying to jam and then he got jammed inevitably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a lesson. Jammer gets jammed. Yeah, you gotta you gotta jam wisely. Pick your jams. <laughs> yeah, you gotta pick your jams. Um Yeah, so I guess the TLDR here is like you know, no one knows what's gonna happen. <laughs> I don't know any of this stuff. Especially us. Like, it was crazy. I was like, yesterday, I was like, ah, I really want to, like, just read something that's going to tell me what to think. <laughs> so, right. can't, can't, like, Peter Thiel come out and give a little speech and tell me what to believe? <laughs> like, uh, I, 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 I think. <laughs> or maybe Anatoly. Totally. Dude, Totally would have a good take. I feel like, I feel like Totally, well, I thought Totally posted about something. But anyway, like, I, I think. Like most people uh, don't know what the fuck is going to happen, right? So I feel like especially in the short term, like if you do spend the time, if you do spend the time to dig through all of the extant information and you develop a view with some level of probability and you you, you put that probability to work via investment, like you could you could definitely get rewarded here. I mean, there's certain like tons of people that are like quote unquote macro experts that, that, that know specific parts specific dynamics of geopolitics or like certain specifics about certain parts of the world. But I don't think anyone really understands like the whole system 
And so it's really anyone's game like to go in there and interpret the facts for, for what they are. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm um, I'm I'm certainly gonna have a go at it. You gotta yeah, you gotta do, gotta do your best given your situation. I do I do hope when we're older, we got better leadership and at the top. That's all. That's really my only takeaway. From you, my you personal got, You gotta pay him though, right? Like I feel like in like when when I mean I I don't know what your your guys' parents have said or you know, what stories they've told you, but like when my, my mom and dad tell me about their growing up, like being a politician was something that was kind of revered. It was like a goal, right? Like you would go to school, you get good grades, you would go get college educated. And then hopefully you would like be on a track, like a political track. And, you know, like the government created ARPANET and, you know, the government, you know, the NSA and the CIA were like capable agencies. Maybe they still are, but like, it strikes me that now, that cachet is not here and they get paid like shit. So like, why would someone not go into private industry? Like why would someone who could make money doing literally anything else and be insulated from the bullshit that is politics? I just don't see there's, unless there's a structural change, I don't see any reason why there would be on balance, smarter people in positions of leadership, political leadership. Yeah, I mean, I mean and then you can also become like a lobbyist or something, right? And you just make a shit ton of money and you still are kind of influencing politics. <laughs> yeah, you could become a lobbyist and just make so much guap being a great <laughs> outside yeah. government. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't think people pick what they do just for money, especially later stage. Like, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. If you're older and you've already made enough, yeah, and you don't need to keep like from fifty onward, you could theoretically, you know, do things that make less money. If and I also think it's a like a it's a it's a cultural thing. I don't think too. I mean, it's probably cultural and structural. I guess like people feel like they can't make an impact doing politics, so they don't. And maybe if they thought they could make or not politics, but like government, working in the government. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's a good point, though. Like, at some point, um, there are many capable business leaders that are like post-financial, right? And they would look out for like higher order objectives than what's immediately in front of you, which is like making enough money that you're comfortable, that you can buy what you want, that you can put your family in the best healthcare and schools. Like, I, I feel like I feel like that's something that has come up, which is like there should just be like a, like a band of like very successful like Silicon Valley exiters that run right, and they run on like a platform of 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 new new policies and new objectives that seem to match like the current state of affairs. And I might do fairly well. It's also kind of like that that uh, viewpoint is kind of like the Silicon Valley solves everything viewpoint, but but I do think there's something there. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, it would almost be like politicians or like the people running the government would like it would be good if they didn't get paid anything, you know, like almost like if you did it so because you just you'd already. 
like removed yourself somewhat from the financial need to do it and it's like more of just like you're playing some larger game you know like you care but i feel like it's not like that actually it's like getting in government is a way to make money if you're a certain type of character so but i mean i don't know I mean, what you what you could all, I mean what you could also build in right is uh, I feel like one of the problems with um, moving things forward as a politician is there's no incentive to do so because you're not going to get rewarded a and it's hard to actually track your policy decisions with results b and third like the time frames are too short for you to have any sort of long term horizon. Like, I do wonder if um, there is like an opportunity to structure like a set of incentives that allows for politicians to be rewarded granularly based on outcomes in the real world. Like, for, for example, like you, there, you, you can build crypto economic systems that take certain inputs and deliver value automatically, right? Like this is like a decentralized insurance protocol. Uh, I, I do wonder if you could find a way to take a bunch of inputs, the inputs being policy decisions, and then measure a bunch of outputs. And if you can trace the two together and a politician's move the needle, like they get rewarded in, in, in some way. Yeah, honestly, like this is the, I mean, Bology has riffs on this, like like the network state and then even like politicians somehow having tokens that track how well they're doing. Like I think, he, but I think you're saying like, just like you have a REIT, tracks how well like it's a uh like a proxy a REIT, real estate investment trust like track tracks the value of an area okay. um if you could kind of extend that right like you're a politician in a certain area or you're a government leader um and you have this value mechanism that's tracking how well that area is doing you're like you're, you should be incentivized to boost it in the long term i feel like the counter argument to that is like public companies are kind of like that. And then you have these CEOs that basically like, yeah, you have CEOs that do things that are short term to pump their stocks and then aren't good for the long-term health of the company. Right. Like, well, the, 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 pro the problem with both of those is that there's, there's a, a public liquid token that measures the progress. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you, if you built like a, a private market solution that had a certain horizon built into it, you could basically just like align the policies along that certain horizon. Like obviously if like DeSantis had a DeSantis token, right? And he knew he was going out of office, um, like he would try to pump the token over the next year, not necessarily to like the long-term benefit of anyone. But if the idea was that, you know, DeSantis had an eight year term, and you built like a series of contracts that measured how well he did at the end of those eight years and measured a variety of things. Let's say like, you know, like infant, infant mortality, early death, like homelessness, GDP, whatever. And only upon like satisfaction of those things would he even get his coins. Like, I feel like there, there is a way, I think. Hmm. Yeah. I guess I wonder like who makes up the criteria. Yeah. Like and et cetera, um, and how do those stay adaptive? So like, you know, things change. Like, I guess the beauty of the- What if the of, people- <laughs> Yeah, I mean- And they would probably just be like, 
um, <laughs> maximum UBI given. Yeah, it'd be like these DAO, <laughs> these DAO votes where people just do the dumbest thing. Um, I feel like the beauty of public tokens is that like no one has to agree on why the value is what it is. It's like a process and it can be adaptive, but then it's also gameable in the short term because people are just trying to make it go up. Right. And then the issue with like private criteria, like you're saying, that's like rigid is like, you know, it can be more explicit and ideally it can be designed better, but then it's also rigid and not adaptive. And maybe in like, you realize after a year that it's not tracking what you want it to track. Yeah. No, I think it's very fair. Honestly, like classic takeaway. I'm just amazed anything even works <laughs> at all. Like, I guess that the government even functions as well as it does trying to govern 300 million people. Like everyone in crypto can barely even handle a DAO and with surplus money let alone, <laughs> you know. I feel, like, yeah. I, feel like, I feel like most people or a lot of people in crypto are just like so good at what they do and, and fairly fairly bright and quick and understanding the landscape, but like it's like they don't like know how to cook or like exercise, you know, or, or, or like, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people are just like retired, retired, <laughs> retired to cyberspace. Yeah. Like if our, system, our systems fell apart, like I wonder, I wonder, I guess for anyone, including myself, our systems fell apart, like how well any of these folks would do. These these very post-decadent characters that we are would do. Yeah. At one point in my life, I was like, I'm really spending too much time like trying to become a good software engineer. This is going to like, if anything bad happens, like I'm going to be useless, you know? And I was like, eh, like I'm not going to spend the time to be a well-rounded person because... <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to get me to the top and now you know we're going to have no we're going to have no uh, gas and nothing's going to work <laughs> and then I'm just going to die <laughs> but dude just I mean you work out like most software engineers you're probably you know 90th percentile of like you know I mean I just, I just like move a bar up and down engineer. you know like I can't I can't go hunt or do anything useful that's true true it's not really useful for survival that's true, that's true. <laughs> it's just like a static exercise yeah you gotta, yeah tj does shit that though i mean i feel like tj <laughs> does shit to prepare for that yeah tj's swinging the most from ready. the trees and you know shit like that <laughs> I, I will i will say I, I think i would do i would do pretty well in an <laughs> yeah I, I think you would too <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I, me or Chris would do like that. Like we would do better than average, but we wouldn't be like stellar, you know. Well, we would also. I mean, part, part, I think part of what would happen is like, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. But in an apocalyptic scenario, like we would have our, we would have our tribe, right? And so we've all got little specialties. Realistically, you know, Chris would have to figure out how to rig up, you know, the hardware that we need to get like electricity <laughs> and to filter our water. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know necessarily what I would contribute. Shake, you would contribute something like we, we would definitely. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I would do either. I mean, dude, you know who'd be good to go with would be like Shaney's family out in the farm. Like they know how to hunt and like have you know pick up trucks and shit like that. They wouldn't even be affected. They'd just be like, they'd be like what? <laughs> know how to grow about? food and know how to hunt. I mean, like they're yeah, dude, they're fucking set. You know. <laughs> yeah, we're just larping. I mean, yeah. if you ever, 
like actually think about what would happen if the internet went out? Like, oh, I was thinking about that <laughs> yesterday. I mean, just catastrophic. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't. I ultimately don't know how I would get home from here. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I guess really? I would. I mean, I would probably. So I have some cash. I would probably sell my technology for more cash and buy a car and then go vaguely north and east and hope for the best. Yeah, you could get home. But I mean, it would, it would, it would just. <laughs> it would be hard. You learn some Spanish. It's almost <laughs> worse than the, the food going out, you know, like your internet. That's, Dude, that's the protocol of life. Yeah, it is. It's even hard to believe that our parents didn't have the internet growing up. Like that's how dependent we are on it in right. terms of like figuring out how to do anything, you know? And yeah, we're just so codependent, codependent of it. Um, yeah, exactly. There's a co there's a coevolution there, right? Which, which is like, yeah, like now our world is, is, like so, so deeply intertwined with there being bandwidth. Yeah. And if you, pull, if you pulled our bandwidth, we <laughs> we'd die. No, we'd we'd figure it out, but it'd be tough. I, I mean, the so. good thing is, like, the internet's pretty robust. You just like would start walking until you got back into an area where they hadn't taken down the network. You know. Well, but that, but that's the thing. I don't. I, I mean, I don't really know how these things work. But my understanding is like. It's sort of modular, like, but ultimately there are plenty of single points of failure. I mean, that's why like parts of the whole East Coast went down, right? It's not like they targeted like every router, but right. there was one, there was one central hub or router, <clears throat> or router that went down yeah. and took out a whole region. Like if that happened in your region, you'd be walking for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I know that was a dumb that was a dumb statement. And that's right. <laughs> um, good, good. Yeah, I, I have thought about this. It's like you're, um, you know that you're becoming super dependent on this thing that like makes you overfitted for the environment you're in, you know, like just giving up your personal independence to be able to like so depend on the internet. And you know, there's this like case where it goes out and you're screwed. But you also know that like, that's probably not going to happen. And if you don't, like, if you don't adopt the internet, like all your peers are going to, and they're going to leave you behind. So then what do you do? I mean, you could just go crazy uh, and like go Walden or whatever the dude, the Unabomber and go live isolated. Cause you like really take it to the extreme, but more likely than not, you're just going to like go along with the, the tide and be addicted to the, or like not addicted, but codependent on the internet. Definitely. I mean, I, th I think the key is like, you're not going to unplug from, like the internet, right? Like it's positive EV clearly to like lean in almost as deep as you can to, uh, to leverage social relationships, your career, your ability to publish information, whatever. But like for a certain type of person, maybe I'll just speak for myself. Like I feel like you do that, but not at the cost of understanding at least enough about how other systems work to be dangerous or at least afloat in 
a pretty tragic scenario. And also just like having that understanding of how other systems work inform how the broader system works, right? Which just makes you like more adept, I think, regardless of where you are. I mean, it's a classic specialization, but versus generalization, but like if you're making money and you're deriving satisfaction from going really, really deep on something, like that sort of makes sense, right? But if you're someone else who has like extra time and you can allocate that time towards like, you know, dicking around and you know, watching television and doing this and doing that, those things drive value for you, great. But there's an argument that some portion of that time could be used to understand like broader systems, such that if things really fall apart, for example, you'd know at least who to go to for help or what resource to lean on, such that you're not just like inert and fucked. Yeah. No, no, I agree. I mean, it's all, it's all spectrum, right? Like to the extent of which you'll need to flex different skills. So what, what, would you, what would you guys do? Let's say internet goes down, electricity goes out, um, food shortages. I guess, Chris, if you're at home with the fam, you would probably just stay posted, right? Defend, defend the squadron. <laughs> defend the squad. I mean, I think I would just need to go out and figure out where the able bodies are. It would get crazy in Chicago. Yeah, it would be fucking <laughs> gnarly. Because it's like a super packed city, but if you compare Chicago to like another dense city like New York, I mean New York, there's like like very few people have guns in New York City because of the laws. Chicago, they do though. They'd be packing. I heard. I heard. <laughs> yeah, dude. I don't know. I feel like you'd have to immediately because like we're so disbanded from our like local neighbors, you know. I feel like you'd really quickly need to figure out, you need to go out basically and find, try to figure out and find good people and just squad up with them and start making alliances. Yep. Like there's no way your family with like your old parents are going to be able to do stuff. So you'd like, okay, you guys stay here. I'm going to go try to find some other people 20 to 30 that I can get into cahoots with and bring home some bacon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy to think about really. I wish, dude, I wish there was like a greater sense of patriotism because I feel like it'd be like, uh, you know, like if you had to, if I had to serve in the government or the military and like learn all this like, like cyber security shit, you know, like, I feel like that would be actually the most important thing. Like besides, it's like you get talented people, have them go work in like the, like, you know, intelligence agencies and like cybersecurity and prepare for those wars. Like if we all did that, like 22 to 24, that would be really bullish America. <laughs> but instead, like, you know, none of that, which kind of sucks. That's, um, that's exactly what happens in Israel. Yeah. Right. And it's like, it's bullish for so many different reasons, right? Like it's not, it's not that people are patriotic and then so that they're down to, you know, put in their service, but there's also like a reflexivity to it where like everyone's expected to do the service and everyone recognizes as like a legitimate part of the cohesion of the society. Um, and so that makes them more patriotic, but also kind of to your point, if that's the expectation, like people come out at 24 ready for the job market, having literally been in charge of troops and trying to understand like how to do, um, how to do like triage and healthcare on the battlefield, like how to conduct a cyber attack, like all this shit that's like 
very high quality skills to have. It's actually interesting you say that thing about um, about uh, cybersecurity. Uh, I was talking to my brother yesterday, and he was kind of saying the same thing. Like he was like, you know, I I should be using my skills, or at this moment, I feel like I should be using my skills not to like query Solana NFTs, <laughs> but instead yeah. instead to like make a dent in clearly the largest threat to democracy at this moment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know when you asked, you know, when you asked us before, like, would you guys go to war? And I was kind of like, I immediately said no. <clears throat> I was thinking about it more. And I don't know if I'd actually stick with that answer. I mean, look, it, because it, like, dude, what I mean, it's it's like so, you know, whether you agree with what is going on in our country, it's kind of a different. A different issue, you know. Um, also, that's what I'm saying. If you felt like you felt compelled about what yeah. the country stood right. for, that the leaders were doing their best and that like there's just no loyalty right now. Right. Like if anything. A lot of people just don't trust, like, at least at the fe like the federal government, they're just like, oh, it's just like, it's there and it keeps stability, but no one's like, oh, I want to, they're going to do anything to make a dent in the world. I, I mean, even the, the people, that, even the, like, we, people that care a lot are still very bearish on the competency of the government, you know, like they want it to be better and they're frustrated by it and they pay attention to it but they don't think they have any confidence in it to do anything that's what i was kind of saying like the benevolent dictator like if the people at the top you're like oh they're like they're gonna make good decisions and I'm, I'm like okay you tell me to do this thing like okay i'm gonna do it because i trust them like i feel like we don't have that like you know awe-inspiring leaders definitely, definitely not. and but i think i think to like to maybe mediate the two points of views. Like, I don't think any of us probably would willingly go fight abroad, right? If Biden asked us to, right? I think that's honestly less about whether we believe in the authority or capability of Biden and more so a matter of it not being existentially relevant to our lives. I think if we were invaded on home soil, we would all take up arms just by virtue of us having families and us wanting to defend ourselves. And I think for like that very reason, and like maybe this is getting into a a topic that's a little bit messier, but like that's the reason to me why the right to bear arms is important. It's not like it's a situation like Ukraine. Like that's why that protection is there, right? It's in case you need a civilian militia that needs to protect its own survival. So anyway, yeah. I, if, if we were invaded, like we wouldn't just lie down and take it, right? Like we would stand up and try to protect what, what is ours, regardless of if, you know, Biden or anyone in the administration was either competent or required of us. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, Do you guys, you guys want to confirm, um, just confirm on, on tape uh, that you agree with the right to bear arms? <laughs> I'm a law-abiding citizen. Yes. I don't think is that that hot take. I guess it is a hot take for some people. No, I feel like I the people, anyone who's watching, I used to have a gun, one. dude. 
Of course, I agree. I don't know if I've told you guys that. <laughs> when I was in you the mood, dude, I was packing that heat, baby. <laughs> DJ, do you want to acknowledge on tape that you agree yeah. with the Second Amendment? I was dude, I own a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Acknowledge. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It'll be. It'll be interesting to see, like, I feel like the U.S. government as it is, well, I guess it could just go on a long, long time like this, like, kind of just, like, hollowed out structure that maintains stability, you know, like, it just kind of doesn't do anything. But I feel like at some point, there's going to be a shakeup, right? It might be now, like, like inflation is here, right? Like, what does that mean? Like, the dollar gets so weak that Yeah, I mean, I think in, in general, like one of the core drivers of like a civil war, just like a like a internal conflict in a nation, is like when the economy economic conditions are bad and people can't like look after their families in basic ways, and they're going to blame the government, whether the government has control over it or not. Like, I think that's kind of a potential for shakeup that we haven't had since mid '90s or something. I don't, I don't know. Like, but that's that's bad, right? That's bad. If people can't drive to work and if people can't like afford like basic food stuffs, like that's that's a that's a no bueno scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think there's worlds where like the U.S. fractures into smaller subsets, like smaller countries? You mean like like legitimately like pairs off, creates borders? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a world. I mean, I don't I know. How, like, I don't know how high probability. Okay, what do you? <laughs> you know, like uh, so that like assumes like the spatial bounds being like contiguous, uh, which is like higher likelihood. Do you think you know like biology talks about network states? Like how likely do you think that is? I, mean, I feel like that's already kind of the, st- the state of affairs, right? I mean, maybe I guess- the network states start caring more about cybersecurity because they like maybe this wakes them up that like you know like these more loosely configured groups start figuring out cybersecurity so that they can be more uh, formidable. Against attack, yeah. I mean, that I feel like that's actually probably the scariest part for us, right? Like, I, I don't know. I guess like an escalation and there being like nuclear repercussions is the obviously the scariest thing, but that's pretty. I feel like that's lower likelihood than like cyber warfare. Definitely, that's definitely. So. But I also think in, in a cyber warfare scenario, like, I, I, I would, I, I see it as unlikely that someone launches a sustained cyber war against the U.S. just by virtue of the sheer engineering talent that we have. I mean, if you wanted to mobilize the engineering talent from Web 2 and Web 3 and rechannel that, like, during wartime, 
into either cyber offensive or cyber defensive, like we'd fuck up any nation. It's true. Like, dude, if you we'll, if stop, you, we'll stop playing our NFT games. If we if we put you <laughs> in a fucking in in a in a in a mine for a year and told you to learn how to cyber attack shit, like I wouldn't want to be on the other side of that. Yeah, let's get the let's get the boys in a little like in a little like uh, a little hacker house, cyber warfare hacker house. <laughs> dude, people on people on Twitter have been saying you're a, a thousand X engineer. I don't want a thousand times cyber attack leverage. Yeah, I don't know what that was. Maybe like a two X. <laughs> Dude, I wish. I honestly, I wish someone like there's just some people that'd be like, "All right, we're enlisting any willing engineer. will teach you like the state of the art of <laughs> of laying siege uh, in cyberspace." I'd be like, "I'll sign up. That sounds <laughs> so fun." <laughs> like that's honestly part of the fun of crypto is it's so adversarial. Yes, it is. And like cyber warfare would be like that, like times a hundred and you'd also feel like it had purpose maybe like protect my country i guess some people must be doing that but like i don't know anyone who's doing that like maybe it's just our circles i think that, i mean that's that gets back to the government the concerning but like i think you can make so much money in the private sphere that are you really gonna go to be like a cyber attack specialist with nsa <laughs> I mean, some people, yeah. talk, but you got to be like a really good person of like higher order objectives, you know? <laughs> yeah, <that ain't> me. <laughs> You're telling me my objectives are too lower order. I'm telling, I'm telling your objectives are too primal and lower order. And you got low. <laughs> That's true. I'm pretty lower order. <laughs> uh, hmm. Well, honestly, I feel like this is just good for us to chat about things and talk about it with someone else. Yeah, it was fun. It was good, clean fun. Maybe maybe we'll have to reconvene and I'll take over Shake's living room again to Shaney's dismay. <laughs> that was fun having you guys here. Definitely should do it again. It was. Cool. Anything else? We wrap it there. I got nothing. It was good, clean, fun. I got ones. nothing either. This was good. Something different. <laughs> it's good to pop out of the crypto bubble halfway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <halfway. laughs> yeah. Alrighty. <clears throat> All right, boys. All right. Peace. See ya. This is.